This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we come to you from Franklin, Tennessee. Why Franklin? Well, Michael, this is your home. It is, and we also have a, a studio here where we can put this program together. And I'm so grateful to you and Joe Carlson for your willingness to come all this way from Chicago. So we thanks for being be here. here. It's a wonderful place to come and to be able to uh, join with you and community here with uh, brothers and sisters and get mm-hmm. to meet people. Our guest today will be primarily on the telephone, although Linda Rowley will be in the studio with us yes, here today. Uh-huh. In just a moment, we're going to introduce our, our first guest, but later on, Dr. Harold Best will be with us on the telephone as well, a very yes. good, close, personal friend of yours. Yeah, and a wonderful brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michael, before we ask you to sing for us today, we're going to take a few moments and go right to the commentary part of our program with Dr. Henry Blackaby. Dr. Blackaby is best known for his book called Experiencing God, which has been read by tens of thousands of people all over the world. And uh, indeed, Christ is using Dr. Blackaby all over the world in ministry. Welcome to In the Studio. It's good to be with you. And now you two have never met, have you? No, we haven't. It's nice to meet partially anyway over the phone. Yeah, you can do it by voice (laughs) identification. Dr. Blackaby, last week uh, with Michael and Don Carson, we talked about the Trinity, and this week we wanted to continue that discussion and add your biblical perspective here and just help us understand the mystery of the Trinity and what it practically means to us. So, And I thought we'd start uh, by reading a text of Scripture found in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, Michael, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and read a few yes, verses please, here, please starting in uh, verse 24. Uh, it says, so you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will continue to live in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I have written these things uh, to you because you need to be aware of those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you all things, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So continue in what he has taught you, and continue to live in Christ. What we'd like to look at, Dr. Blackaby, is is a practical understanding of how uh, we apply uh, what we know. Uh, obviously, the Trinity is a mystery, and there are things that we can't put into words. But uh, help us to sort through uh, some of the confusion. I mean, there's, there's so much confusion on this topic, and uh, we need your help to uh, apply the Scriptures to our lives. Well, as I look at the Scriptures, uh, which is our only source for an understanding of the nature of God and the ways of God, nearly always all three persons of the Godhead are always present. For instance, in creation, the Father purposed it, And then Scripture says it was the Son of God who created. And in Genesis it says the Spirit of God brooded over the waters. And in salvation, all three persons are are involved. And so no matter where you go in the Scripture, like the passage we read, uh, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And the anointing that Jesus promised that the Father would send his Holy Spirit So God has manifested himself in three persons, yet one God. But we relate to all three. God's purpose was to put his Son in us, and he placed his Holy Spirit in us, and he himself takes up residence within us. So we're always involved with all there is of God. He doesn't piecemeal himself. When one person of the Trinity is present, all three are present. Are there distinctions in how we relate to each member of the Trinity? 
Yeah, I've always, as I looked at the scripture, uh, the Father is always the one who purposes. It's like God so loved the world, and God purposed creation. The purposes of God are always the activity of the Father. But he implements his purposes through his Son, whether it's creation or redemption. And then God has purposed that the Holy Spirit is the one who applies what the Father has purposed and what the Son has accomplished. Mm. So God is the one who planned and purposed our salvation. The Son of God is the one who implemented it for the Father, and it is the Holy Spirit who brings it into reality in our life. And we are born again by the Spirit of the living God. So all three persons are always involved. I don't think I've ever heard it quite so clearly put, but the, the Spirit then empowers uh, what Christ has accomplished right. and what God desired or willed. Yeah, you can always see that when the Holy Spirit is doing something. It is always based on what the Father has purposed and what the Son has accomplished. Mm. How does uh, how does one then relate to each member of the Trinity? How does a believer properly relate to each? Well, for instance, uh, if you were to say, Lord Jesus, how should I pray? He said, well, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. So you relate to the Father as Jesus told us to. You talk to the to God the Father as the Father and the one who's purposing. But then he says, you need to pray in Jesus' name. And so... I say, Father, everything you've accomplished in Christ is the reason that I can come and talk to you. So I come in Jesus' name, that is, in all that Christ has accomplished to make it possible for me to come. And then the Scripture says the Holy Spirit's the one who helps us to pray. And so I say, Holy Spirit, would you help me as I now pray? So the believer relates to all three persons, and I usually relate according to their assignment or how they've revealed themselves. And, uh, Can but, you give an example of that? Well, when I pray, I say, Father, I've come to do your will, but I cannot come to you apart from what Jesus has provided for me. So I come with him. He is the intercessor. So, Father, I come with him, but you told me that you have given me your Holy Spirit. So I come to you with the Holy Spirit's enabling. Father, I thank you that all there is of you, all your fullness, is now present and active in my life. It sounds to me like the the, the focus in in your address is is directly to the Father. Uh-huh. We we not long ago talked to someone who, in their prayers, had had begun praying to each member of the Trinity, and I never quite understood that. Well, I I never relate to 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 one without relating to the others. Uh-huh. I'm always relating to all the fullness of God. And I think of uh, even in John uh, uh, 14, which is a strong uh, passage on the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. but also he says, now if you obey what I command, Jesus said, then my Father will take up residence within you, and he will love you, and I will take up residence within you, and I will love you, and we will come and take permanent residence with you. Mm -hmm. And so... I just take the scriptures. Basically, I pray from the scriptures. Yes. So whatever scripture I'm involved in, uh, I'm looking at the truth of God, all the truth of God. So I pray 
from that scripture when I talk to God. Dr. Blackaby, verse 27 in 1 John chapter 2, once again it says, But you have received the Holy Spirit and lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you all things, and what he teaches you is true, it is not a lie. Um, I guess my question is, what is the place for teaching then if, if we have the Holy Spirit um, within us to teach us truth? Well, you remember Jesus also in John 14 says uh, that uh, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and then 16, he will teach you all things. And so he is our primary teacher. But the Holy Spirit also enables those who have been assigned to be teachers. Mm -hmm. And and Paul in, in Ephesians 4 says, God has assigned some who are pastor teachers. Now, the Holy Spirit has to enable them to be that teacher. So when I listen to a person teaching, I'm also very alert to the Holy Spirit bearing witness in me that what he's teaching is true, and he is the one who is teaching through them. Michael, we talk a lot about the body of Christ and living in community, biblical community. Mm-hmm. This is another picture of that, really. And, and uh, according to what Dr. Blackaby has said, then it's the Holy Spirit that empowers that community and makes us one. Is that, is yeah, that right? Yeah, no question about that. Uh, and the Holy, for instance, it's interesting when in John 16, he says, now the spirit of truth, he'll guide you into all truth, but he'll never speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, that's what he speaks. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, who's he listening to? Well, the Father. And, and when, so when the Father teaches him, when the Father says, Holy Spirit, I've assigned you to make sure that Henry does not miss my will for his life. Mm-hmm. And so the moment the Holy Spirit knows what the Father is assigning for my life, he then is working in me to make sure that I know what the Father's will is for my life. Jesus said the same thing. He said, now, I never speak anything to you except what I heard from my Father. Mm. We keep referring back to these, uh, this passage between John 14 and uh, 15 and 16, this long walk that the disciples have to Gethsemane uh, after um, uh, the, Jesus washes the, the disciples' feet in 13. And it, it, in particular, I, I mean, it's touching to me that Jesus has on his heart and on his mind uh, this desire to clarify uh, what's going to happen by means of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he again and again, he returns to the Holy Spirit. He talks about unity. Uh, he talks about this person. When Jesus says, so that I may be in them, it, it's in the same breath that he's been talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I mean, I just find that touching that his concern is so much that we understand uh, this parakletos that he's going to send, who's going to stand beside us and comfort us and be our advocate uh, before he goes to be with the Father. Yeah, and, and if you remember, again, my mind goes right across scriptures. And, and I think of First uh, Corinthians 12. He says, now no one can ever call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. Hmm. So his assignment is to make sure that I understand and respond to Jesus as Lord. Now, why, does, why is that so important? Because that's what the Father has designed. Hmm. The Father has given all authority and everything into his Son. And then the Father put his Son in me. But then the Holy Spirit is present to activate in me an understanding and relationship to Jesus Christ as Lord. So if I walk in harmony with the Holy Spirit, then I will walk in harmony 
with the Son as well. And Romans 8 is very strong uh, when it says those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And the Spirit of adoption helps us to cry, Abba, Father. And he bears witness. And he helps us to understand that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, you notice all three persons of the Godhead are noted there. Mm-hmm. And so the Father is the one who has his will for us. The Son of God is the one who has implemented that on the cross and the resurrection and now the intercession. And the Spirit of God makes certain that the living Christ who is within us is very real and very personal. And we walk in harmony with what the Holy Spirit is teaching and sharing and pointing out. Mm. Dr. Blackaby, your your understanding is so so clear and systematic and above all biblical. Uh, but but what about the mystery of it? Uh, where does that fit into uh, your understanding? Oh, everything about God is a total mystery. Mm-hmm. I mean, God Himself cannot be uh, understood uh, as thoroughly as we want to. And then when it talks about Christ, it says the unsearchable riches of Christ, when it talks about his love, and to be filled with all the fullness of God is an incredible mystery. Mm -hmm. And then when you put it all together, uh, I'm so grateful we're talking about God and not man, because God is God, and he is uh, knowable, um, but he leaves himself in total mystery so that we have to trust him. Mm -hmm. We have enough to trust him. And he said, if, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. Now, when we come to God, we need to believe that he is. That is, he is everything he's revealed, and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Mm-hmm. So as a pastor, when someone is confused, I say, oh, well, let me give you this scripture. You need to come to the scripture and let God make himself known in all of his fullness as he knows you're able to handle it. Mm-hmm. And remember, those who seek him with all their heart will come to find and know and experience him as they're capable of doing it. And you'll spend a lifetime, basically, we'll spend eternity, Mm. and we still will never have plumbed the depth of the nature of God. There's so many great mysteries, including why he chose us, huh? And I'm grateful for the mystery. Oh, amen. If Uh, I could understand everything, I'd be in bad shape. (laughs) (laughs) Henry Blackaby is with us in the studio by way of telephone today here with Michael Card. I was just looking ahead in 1 John chapter 3, Dr. Blackaby, where he says, those who obey God's commandments live in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And as I read your books and we've talked through the years, the, I hear you saying that our primary call is a call to obey. And I'd like for you to address that for a moment. Yeah, because he's God and he never speaks except he has his will and his purpose in mind. And, and if you were to take passages like First. First uh, Corinthians 2.10, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, hasn't even entered into the heart of man. The things that God has, reve- has, has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. So when the Spirit begins to guide us, he is leading us into an experience of all the fullness of God. And obedience is crucial. If I don't obey anything the Holy Spirit is telling me, 
I'm shutting myself off from all that God has prepared for those who love him. Michael, recently I was uh, on the Moody Broadcasting Program open line with Dr. Blackaby. I don't know if you recall Dr. Blackaby, but a caller uh, phoned in that night and admitted that he had been running from God yeah. uh, for a long time. And your, your simple statement back to him was, why would you run from the God who loves you so much? Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And why would I resist and grieve and quench the Holy Spirit of God, whose purpose is to bring me into the experience of all the fullness of God? And then another statement uh, that I've read and interacted with you about that I'd like for our listeners to hear again is the the profound statement that partial obedience is disobedience. Boy, that is true. And that's true all the way through the scriptures. Uh, King Saul kept saying to Samuel, but I have obeyed. And Samuel's reply was, I've just come from the presence of God. And God says, you've disobeyed. And some people feel one degree off is not really off, but one degree off is totally off. And partial obedience is total disobedience. But we want to turn to God and say, well, why don't you remember all my obedience? And he said, because it's your disobedience that's cutting you off. And when Saul suddenly was faced with that, he said, partial obedience has just lost him his kingdom. You know, that picture you gave us a moment ago, one degree off, think about that. You start in the center and you start out just that one degree in the wrong direction. Over time, you're in the, you're way out there, way, way away from the core. Well, it points to the fact that it can only be accomplished by the grace of God. I mean, any human attempt, it's going to be one or more degrees off, I would think, and only God's grace is going to give us that uh, perfect obedience. Yeah, and that's why I think God, uh, the Lord says, you need to be perfect as your heavenly Father, Mm -hmm. and heaven is perfect. And, of course, the human reasoning says, well, no one's perfect. And I said, then uh, what else are you going to mark off your Scripture? You better listen to him. He's trying to tell you that all the provision that God could possibly give you to help you to live in that holy relationship to God is present, available, and active in your life. You've got to have a heart that wants to be as he is. Well, Dr. Blackaby, we have just a few seconds left, and we're going to ask Michael to sing an appropriate song here, a song that talks about uh, freedom for those who obey, his song, Joy in the Journey. But I'm wondering if you would close our time with a, a, a prayer here, a brief prayer. I would. Heavenly Father, what an incredible revelation. You have come to us and let us know that you love us from eternity, and you love us with a perfect love, and in spite of all of our sin. You yourself in love provided everything we need to have full and total fellowship with you. Help us to believe you. And when we come to you, obey you. For your heart wants us to experience everything that you've purposed from the very beginning. Guide those who listen to simply pray and release their life to you in all your fullness to help them in their relationship with you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, sir. Michael's ready to sing for us this song called Joy in the Journey.
have and always will love that song. Mm. Thank you, Michael. Uh, michaelcard.com is the website. There are lots of resources there. Um, you can find out more about the community magazine. You can find out your monthly column. Read the monthly column that's there. Yeah, there's an itinerary there of concerts uh, where we're going to be playing. Uh, we have the uh, the archives of the radio program. You can listen to any program that's been previously aired. So spread the word. Michaelcard.com is a good place to come for resources and to send your comments as well. In the studio at michaelcard.com is a direct email address, and we have this week's question right in front of us right now. We do. Um, Let me just read it. It says, I have a question. How can I use the Bible to pray for someone else to receive Christ as their Savior? Between my friends, some say who I am praying for is either in the Lamb's Book of Life or they aren't. And my other friend says praying won't change their mind if they hear the gospel. They have the free will to choose. So uh, it sounds like you've got uh, two friends that are looking for excuses for not sharing Christ with people. Uh, the first one says, well, their, their, their name is in the Lamb's book of life, or they aren't. Well, so then in, in Matthew 28, when Jesus says to make disciples of all nations. Yeah, what do we do with that? Yeah, what do we do with that? No, I mean, clearly, uh, uh, God certainly knows who is in the Lamb's book of life and who, who isn't, uh, because God knows everything. But we don't know everything. And, uh, and our free will functions at the same time. I know this is going to make some people who are listening go absolutely crazy. <laughs> but uh, 
I don't even I can't say I understand it this way, but what I believe is that free will and uh, that predetermination happen at the same time. God gives us the freedom to t- to say yes or no to Him. Otherwise, the cross means nothing, mm-hmm. uh, and the preaching of Jesus means nothing. And at the same time, certainly God knows because He knows everything. So, uh, uh, yes, uh, Ray, I, I'll I'll use Ray's name. Yes, Ray, uh, our call is to make disciples of all nations, as Jesus told us to, and we don't decide who hears the word and who doesn't hear the word. You know, I'm kind of looking behind the question too, Michael, and I'm thankful that Ray is concerned about people who are outside of Christ. And I'm I'm especially uh, impressed that it, he says. How can I use the Bible? Because he's clearly looking for a biblical way because his friends certainly aren't giving him a biblical way. He's looking for a biblical way to reach out to other people with Christ. And and I want to encourage him in that. And I still think the best way is one-on-one getting to know people, opening the door of your life to them and waiting for that opportunity to share who Jesus is and and what he means. So, Ray, uh, God bless you and, and be encouraged. And Ray, as an added encouragement to you, we would like to send you a copy of the scriptures, the New Living Translation version of the scriptures, because we do this to each person whose question is used on the air. So that'll be coming to Ray very shortly. And Tyndale has given us a special life application study Bible yeah. to give uh, in this new translation. So I, I think Ray will find this uh, this volume helpful. Michael, we have a minute or so. Let's just pray for all of us that yeah. we'd have this kind of compassion to see people come to Christ. Yeah, Let, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I would pray... Uh, that you would uh, release us from the confusion, uh, the kind of confusion uh, that was reflected in in Ray's letter of trying to uh, sort out the questions of how it is that you work in the world, having known everything from the beginning, and yet uh, you give us the freedom to say yes or no to you. Help us most especially to find creative ways to open the door of our lives to people. I pray that you'd be with Ray, that you'd be with Wayne, and that you would be with me, with Joe and, and, and Kenny and Sam, everyone who's in this studio right at this moment, but also for every man and woman and boy and girl who's listening to this program on the radio. Help us to find ways, Lord Jesus, to reflect you out into the world and to have uh, ready on our lips uh, the word of salvation to speak to men and women who are ready to hear. Uh, pray that you would give us an, an, an unusual openness and awareness to where people are, uh, the, uh, the gift of discernment to know when to speak that saving word and when to simply listen uh, to where another person is. There's so much help that we need, and we ask you, Lord Jesus, to help us in this so we could be better disciples and better disciplers. We lay this all before you, Lord Jesus, asking for your help, knowing that without it, we can't do anything. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Michael. We need to stop right there as we get ready for the second half of In the Studio with Michael Card. If you're near a computer, why not take a moment and send us your thoughts about the program as well as any questions you have about the Bible or living the Christian life. Our email address is inthestudio at michaelcard.com. If you're new to this broadcast, consider this your invitation to stop by our website and learn more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry. We're excited about all the features waiting for you right now at michaelcard.com. And if you'd like to hear this complete program again, come to the audio archives on our radio page or order your CD copy at michaelcard.com. After this break, more on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Welcome back in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. 
A week ago at this time, Michael, we started a series we're calling A Look at Great Art, and our guest at that time was Dr. Harold Best. I'm happy to say he's back with us today. And, and Harold gave us really the, the introduction to uh, the why of, of why we should open ourselves to great art and great music as Christians. And we wanted to move further into that and start specifically with the composer, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. And Harold, uh, thanks for coming back and being with us. You're welcome. Happy to be with you. Okay, so l- let me start by just asking the question. I, uh, I, it's finally occurred to me that I should invest some serious time opening the door of my life to Bach, who I've heard from people I trust is, you know, this important composer that I need to listen to and try to understand. Where do I start? Uh, what do I listen to? I mean, why is his life important? Yeah, let me start with the with the last part. Why is his life important? Okay. Uh, and I I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it this. This is important to me to say it this way. Uh, here, here is a man who lived for 65 years uh, in Germany. Uh, he, uh, I consider him to be my brother in Christ. Wow. I consider him to be, be a buddy, a real friend. I, I'm not trying to play Shirley MacLaine when I say that or anything <laughs> like that. He is my friend. So he's I'm, not on a pedestal. No, he's well. He, and here's the thing: he never he never knew what pedestals were. Wow. The thing that's so wonderful about Bach was he just went to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love to say to my students that in, in the last 27 years of his life, he lived in Leipzig and he worked at St. Thomas Church. And all of these great masterworks that he, that he created uh, that have stood the test of t- centuries and will continue to do so, he had no idea uh, what it meant to be great. He had no idea of what it meant to create art that stood the test of time or anything like that. He uh, he just went to work getting ready for Sunday for 27 years. So he wasn't a superstar in his own time like Mozart was? He, he, he was in certain respects. He was known all over Germany uh, for organ design and consulting and hmm. uh, on uh, pipe organ design. And, and uh, if Bach passed muster on, on the latest installation, that was like the gold seal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was known uh, far and wide for his skills as an improviser, and uh, hardly anybody could come near his improvising skills. As a composer, he was kind of a conservative, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he was not nearly as well-known for being a composer as he was for being a Kapellmeister hmm. and an organ consultant and an improviser and a performer. Uh, but he just plugged away. Uh, he called himself a craftsman, uh, the word art did not have a capital A in those days. Mm. He he simply did things. Well, here for instance, at the end of many of his compositions, you'd find the initials S D G, though solely Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Now that's pretty well known. The, the other thing that's not so well known is that at the beginning of many of his compositions, he'd write uh, the the letters J J which stood for the Latin Yesu Yuva, which means Jesus help. Mm. And those little initials at the beginning of his composition were there uh, all the time. He was a a great guy. He he had a a pretty large theological library. 
he had a, his own personal Bible that was a, the Martin Luther translation, of course. And, and you know, you can you can see his handwritten notes in the margin. Do we have uh, much of the uh, in his own words of why he did what he did? We have enough to know that he that he really believed. He had believing faith, and he felt, in our terminologies, called. I'm sure. To church music. Now he didn't limit himself to church music. That's the other neat part about Bach. Here he was going to church on Sunday, and a, a, for a certain stretch of time, he wrote one cantata every week Gosh. for his choir. <laughs> one cantata a week. <laughs> but in addition to that, he had the orchestra, the town band in Leipzig. He was traveling around. Now, why uh, was that neat to you, Harold? As you because said, because he was a rounded. He was not a provincial. He was not. A silly little ecclesiastical island. He he was, he was a man among men and uh, a gentleman among gentlemen and a good steward among good stewards. Lessons he, for us today. A lesson for us today. He was a good old solid Lutheran, <laughs> gone to church and and worshiping the Lord and and letting his music be service to the Lord. Uh, what. Uh, one of my buddies that, that teaches at Wheaton College, is, College calls final authorship before God. Hmm. That's, he, he was authoring for the glory of God. And uh, he, he's just a, in addition to being one of the you know, top composers in all civilizational history, nobody's going to argue whether it's going to be Bach or Mozart or Beethoven, but he's up there in the top. This is a great man with a great mind, and uh, a great heart. He had 21 children. Uh, he uh, had two different wives. Barbara Bach died early on, and then his second wife was Anna Magdalena. And he, so he was a homebody, and, mm -hmm. and uh, he had prayers with his children, from what we know, uh, you know, morning prayers. He'd sit at the harpsichord, and they'd go through their prayers and this kind of thing. Wow. He got stuck in jail for getting into a fight with a guy once, and and uh, he called him a nanny goat bassoonist. I might have my story somewhat <laughs> crooked, but he got he you know they got into a pretty good brawl and and uh, uh, I you know he I'm not condoning that. I'm just simply saying he was a good guy. He was real. He, too. he was real. Yeah. yeah, he was he was all over the place. Mm. He walked 200 miles to hear uh, an organist named Dietrich Buxtehude play. He'd heard about his playing, so he walked 200 miles. To hear this guy play and to learn from him, he overstayed his leave at his church and got in trouble with the church board and this kind of thing. And yet he'd turn around and say, Jesus, help, mm. at the beginning of his compositions, to God alone be the glory at the end. I mean, this is a good man, mm. a good man. Okay, so you've given us a, a, a great start at looking at his life and understanding mm -hmm. uh, the quality uh, of his person. Now, help us, um, give us some advice. Where, where should we start in listening? Start? Yeah. Well, first of all, almost everybody knows some of the stuff he's written. Yesu Joy of Man's Desiring. Almost everybody knows that. And uh, a lot of us sing uh, uh, from the old hymn books, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded, mm -hmm. which is a tune that he did not write, but we sing his harmonization. And sheep may safely graze. A lot of people know that. So the point is, you, d you don't have to start with Bach uh, like brand new. Everybody You've... knows a little bit of Bach. Okay. But after that, it's, it's just up for grabs. You know, if you like keyboard music, piano music, harpsichord music, you like orchestras, then you should listen to the to the uh, 
the keyboard concertos. You mentioned cantatas. Now, I think we have yeah. a, a, a genre of cantatas that's warped in our, in our he, thinking these days. Yeah, his cantatas were actually, they were known as the second sermon. And they're, they're, they're in, in the Lutheran liturgy of his time in Leipzig, the cantata was a regular part of the morning uh, worship service. Mm. And it was really a second homily. And uh, uh, it had a regular, it wasn't a festival thing. It wasn't, you know, like it's Easter time, so sure. we'll do a cantata. Yeah. It's every Sunday a cantata that, that, that <sighs> became the second homily. It was its own kind of sermon. Mm. Uh, it would be based both on scripture and on the poetry and the thinking of Bach's uh, uh, near contemporaries uh, who were writers or people earlier uh, who had lived before him whose texts he would choose to uh, to set music to. Harold, last week we talked about uh, how we need to invest time into mm-hmm. art and listen. Mm-hmm. In this case, we're listening to Bach's music. How, mm-hmm. do you, how do you listen? Do you get alone? Do you crank it up loud? I mean, give us some of those ideas. Well, yeah. Uh, first of all, I like to crank it up to the point where it's as loud as it is in a concert hall. Uh-huh. Uh, you, can't, you can't let it be somewhere in the background. It has to be cranked up. The second thing is I, I, dis, I divide my listening time two ways. One time, uh, the one kind where I listen deeply, I refuse to do anything else. I put my thinking cap on, my thinking ears, and I listen to the discourse. I listen to the music arguing itself from beginning to end. So it becomes meditation, doesn't it? Yes, it does. That's a good way to put it. It becomes meditative analysis. I tell you, Nicholas Waltersdorf, this wonderful evangelical philosopher we have, calls that perceptual contemplation. So uh, wh- how about this? But, but now let me, let me okay. do it real fast. The second kind of listening I do is sometimes I'll just let it wash over me and say, nuts on thinking about it, I'm going to let it entertain me. It's going to feel good, and that's all I care about. And I deeply believe in entertainment. I do not, uh, what I don't believe in is entertainment all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that our listening skills are all the more whetted if sometimes we just go for the pleasure, and then other times we go for the hard stuff, mm-hmm. figuring it out. So how about this? How about w- w- when we sit down to listen to Bach, uh, before the process, we put those initials, uh, J.J., mm-hmm. in front of it? Mm. Sure. We do it right along with him. Yeah, and we that, join him. That puts us in the same place. Sure. He, if he made an offering with his composing, then it's my responsibility to make an offering out of my listening. Mm-hmm. Lord, I place my ears at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Best, we have just a minute left. Yeah. I have to ask you, uh, do the same rules apply to the instrumental Bach as well as to the, the words? Uh, you mean as to what we were just talking with listening? Yes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because for the first, uh, you know, we are commanded to make music on instruments mm-hmm. in addition to being commanded to sing. So it doesn't, uh, music doesn't need text in order for the Lord to get really happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord is very happy when we do what the old King James called prophesying on instruments of music, mm-hmm. speaking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, when he plays the guitar, before he sings, he's speaking up on the guitar. Mm. Or he starts on his keyboard licks. He's speaking up. Uh, Bach with the Brandenburg Concerti, or the or the, the well, well-tempered clavier, the Preludes and Fugues, he's for keyboard, he's speaking up. He's talking. 
Well, uh, our time is gone. Michael, I can't wait to get out and find my next CD yep. of Bach music. I'll yep. buy you. I'm going to brush off my Brandenburg Concerto <laughs> CD and listen to it tonight, Harold. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Harold, once again, uh, thank you for starting us on a, uh, what I hope is going to be a very exciting journey as we begin listening to people uh, with Jesus' help to the glory of God. That's right. Michael, as we frequently talk about biblical community, our guests quite often are members of the Empty Hands Fellowship here in Franklin, Tennessee. The men of the Empty Hands. The men of Empty Hands. A little bit of a twist on that here Mm -hmm. today. Yeah, we've asked uh, the wife of really my closest friend, Scott Rowley, who is still so much a part of the heart of uh, Empty Hands. There there wouldn't be an Empty Hands Mm -hmm. as we know it if it weren't for people like Linda. So we've asked her to come and join us. Linda, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Isn't that the story of life? There wouldn't be much of anything if there weren't women behind it, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I always hear. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's especially true in this case. Well, Scott has been a frequent guest with us. Scott is not with us today. We weren't going to give Scott a microphone anyway, so I guess he chose not even to come to the studio, huh? That's right. I think he's in a meeting somewhere. (laughs) Okay. Well, great to have you here today, Linda. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, You you help us. We have listeners who come along uh, each week to the program. Maybe some don't know about the Empty Hands Fellowship. I think it would be interesting to hear you describe what it is um empty hands actually is has brought more fullness into our life because of what it is for scott um and for me um empty hands actually wouldn't be here i don't know if you know this um we started a women's ministry cross-racial ministry before empty hands started called tapestry and it was started as a result of going to a ccda conference and there were two other women I was sitting with, and they, one woman from Chicago talked about how they did a, a cross-racial luncheon once a year in their ministry. And we went home and said, that's what we need to do in our community, which we did. We started having a lunch. And I remember one day Scott said to me, the women, the women are doing what the men need to do. Mm-hmm. And then the men started meeting and called it Empty Hands. And so that's, um, it's kind of a continuation of all of that, that mm-hmm. both of us now are, are really are much more connected to where we live. Even right there is a picture of community, isn't it? That, the, you know, one gender starts something, the other gender kind of picks up on it. And, sure. you know, it's wonderful. Yeah. And, and in fact, I, I, I'd forgotten that until you just mentioned that. I remember us, um, I think the men were waiters for one of the tapestry. They were. Um, the very first tapestry. And I think every every year since, they've always had the men wait yeah. to be the waiters. Yeah, but I forgot that you guys did it first. Yeah. Well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, I know that uh, the Empty Hands Fellowship oh. occupies a lot of Scott's time and attention. Does that ever cause concern for you to give him up that way? No. No, I think the the thing that it does cause is it makes me really recognize that it, how intentional it is, um, because it doesn't happen naturally. Even even living in the community of where we live, um, and having him be so involved, you know, when people do things just as friends, it really is an intentional that you do things cross racially because cultures just seem to migrate to cultures. Yeah. And people just seem to migrate to those people that they're most like. So for me, um, when Empty Hands is really working for us, it will be when 
couples do things with couples because it still isn't really that way. We mm-hmm. talk about it. We talk about going out to dinner with the Densons, and we've actually talked about all going down to um, Mardi Gras mm-hmm. together because Leela loves Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. and we've talked about that, but that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So I think when that begins to happen really more naturally is when it will really touch us on a level that I think will change change us even at a deeper level than it is right now. Yeah, it, and it's amazing that it's taken that long, but that, that's that's a good observation. Um, the guys will go to the movies together sometimes, mm-hmm. but we don't we haven't done things very often as couples. Right. Yeah. Linda, uh, we've talked with uh, guests from Empty Hands here a number of times on the on the program, and again, it'd be interesting to get the woman's perspective on this. Uh, Mike, we've talked about the fact that it's hard work. It's not all sweetness and light when it comes to the Empty Hands Fellowship. There's a lot of great things that happen, but there's a lot of real core thinking that and battling that has to go well, on as well. And we realized about four or five years into it that there's a lot of things about each other we just don't like. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, and that's that was a kind of a wall that we hit that we're still dealing with. And you're right in the middle of that. You're really more in the middle of that than any of the rest of us. I don't know why you yeah. say that. Why well, you say that? because of where you live. I mean, oh. I, you know, I'll, I'll go to I'll go pray, you know, I'll go pray with empty hands or go you know, do something, you know, with Scott, we'll do these reconciliation things at, at Union or well, that was the last place we went. But then I come back to my home. You, you guys actually live in the black community. Right. And, right. Um, you know, that's what I say. You, I mean, you, you've got you've got a bigger pile of chips on the table <laughs> than, than any of us do. Well, you know, it's so funny because <clears throat> even as I say, why do you say that? I really recognize that, but I don't think of that. Right. Yeah. Because I... I just love where I live. Yeah. And it's brought a fullness to my life that I have never had before. Mm-hmm. So um, as much as I think it causes anxiety sometimes because I don't know where I'm supposed to go with it, exactly what it's going to look like 10 or 15 years from now, mm-hmm. um, I really love where I live. Mm-hmm. It's really where I need to be. I want to ask some questions about that, but we're going to hold off on that part of the conversation until next week when you join us here, Linda. We'll talk okay. more about the intentional decision that you made as a family to move okay. into the neighborhood that you live in. Uh, talking more about empty hands, though, mm-hmm. uh, you've seen progress. You've you've seen things happen and movement. And oh, definitely. I think I think to see people now around my community that I recognize because of either empty hands functions or tapestry functions, is what is so great for me. Um, again, like I said, I, I think when people want to do things together, you do things with people that you live life with. Yeah. And the truth is is that there still isn't a lot of that connection with the African-American community in Franklin Um on a more consistent basis than yeah. there is. Like I have a friend, Valerie Caldwell, who we intentionally um, got into a relationship together through tapestry. And still, like, if I'm going to go to a movie or if I'm going to do something, is it Valerie I call? No, hmm. it's not. And I really question myself of why that is. And I think it's just like any other friendships, it takes a long time. Yeah to do that. Well, I can remember early on when we first started getting together and I would li- I would hear Denny or some of the other uh, uh, brothers talk about forming friendships with, with people in the white community. And it was, it was really poignant. Most, most often they would say something like, uh, Den- I would hear Denny say, yeah, you know, Mike Card's my friend. And when, when he sees me on the street in Franklin, he will greet me. Mm-hmm. And that was a sp- 
that was a special deal to him. Of course, I take for granted, of course, if, if, if you're my friend, but his experience had been, you know, there, there would be white people that he would know from other situations, but when he'd be out on the street in town, they wouldn't speak to him. Right. You know, and it breaks your heart that, that that's the status quo. It, it really it, is. It, it really is. And, you know, I have found that when my son is in um, sports activities and will go to, like, the end of the year sports banquet or picnic or even at games, you see the segregation in games. You'll walk into the gym and here are the whole black community sitting in one thing, yeah. one section and the whites. And so I purposely have started going over with the blacks. I, I recognize their faces. Why is it that I migrate to the white section. Yeah. And these are even Christian brothers and sisters oh, sure. that this wall oh, yes. of separation yeah, yeah. exists between. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, I don't know. I think, you know, there's so much we battled against it for so many years that there's some of it that it's just more comfortable. It's more comfortable. It's always that tension of how am I going to be perceived or what am I going to talk about? What do we have in common? It just, I think it's going to take many, many, many more years. Yeah, and I, I, we talk in terms of generations. I mean, our children will be, you know, farther down the road, but right. probably won't be there. But maybe their children, it, that won't be an issue anymore. Yeah. Um, hmm. you, you, you know, as Wendell Berry says, you plant a tree that you won't enjoy the shade of. Yeah. Well, that, that's <laughs> and that's what I think that's what we're doing. Right. right. Yeah. Well, Linda, you will be back with us next week, and we'll talk more about these things and, and others. But I just am sensing here as we talk about what's happening in your community of Franklin, Tennessee, that we're kind of waking up some people where they live mm. and uh, to to be, be in community with their uh, friends and neighbors there as well. And I just wonder, Mike, if we could ask Linda just to pray that that oh, would yeah. happen as yeah. people even listen to our conversation I'd here today. Would to. you mind? Thanks, Linda. Gracious God and Father, we do acknowledge to you right now that you are our sovereign Lord that you are the one who changes us from the inside out. And, Lord, would you please do a work in, amongst your people, um, African-American people and white people alike, Lord, that you would, you would give us the desire to cross racial barriers. You would give us the desire to put our own selves on the line and that uh, we would begin to experience more of what community really feels like, the kind of community that you desire for us, Lord. You created us all so differently so that we could enjoy um, everyone else who is so different from us. So I do pray that as we uh, look to you, that you would begin to enlighten the eyes of our hearts even more. Um, I pray that we would experience your grace in this measure, Lord, that we would begin to experience community um, greater than just the community we live in. Mm. I pray that that would happen across the United States, that you would um, give us a greater desire to know you in a more intimate way because we know others that are different than we are. And I pray that this would be done in such a way that it would bring honor and glory to your name. Mm. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've had a challenging time in the Word and in prayer today here in the studio with Michael Card. If you've been listening for a while, then you know that our goal for this hour each week is to help you understand the truth of God's Word and help you live it out as a mature follower of Jesus. We hope you'll take a moment right now and let us know how God is making this a reality for you. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. Here's just one note we received. I just wanted to tell you that your radio program has been a blessing to 
Academy. My name is Victoria, and I'm in the ninth grade. I listen to your program on WJTF in Panama City, Florida. I appreciate the teaching as well as your songs. Keep up the good work and keep serving God. Well, please pass along your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests. And when you do, let us know that you're standing with us in prayer. The longer we work on this program, the more we realize how dependent we are on God's Spirit to guide and empower this radio outreach. And you can get in touch with us at in the studio at michaelcard.com. Now to stay connected with all that's going on with the broadcast and with Michael's ministry, come to our website. We're easily found at michaelcard.com. And when you stop by, you'll be able to find out how to access the resources for those who become members of a feature we call the community. Learn about our publication called The Community Magazine and From the Study, Michael's new monthly e-journal. You can also listen to this complete program again at our audio archive, or you can find out how to order a CD copy. It's all just a few clicks away at michaelcard.com. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.